Macmillan Audio presents Don't Stay Up Late by R.L. Stein. Read for you by Brittany Presley. Part 1 Chapter 1 My name is Lisa Brooks, and I'm a twisted psycho. I wasn't always a total nutcase. Before the accident, I thought I was doing pretty okay. My family moved to Shadyside in February. It took a little while to adjust to a new house, a new town, and a new high school. That's normal, right? I had some hard times. I was lonely at first. I missed my friends back in Shaker Heights. Shadyside High was big and confusing, and most everyone I met had been going there forever and already had a group of friends. I'd walk down the long halls to class, and everyone was laughing and talking, and sometimes I felt as if I didn't exist. I'm a little shy, it's not easy for me to go up to someone I don't know and just start talking. So, I felt kind of invisible my first few weeks there. But by April, I was beginning to feel at home. I was making friends. Sarah Lynn O'Brien and I were hanging out a lot. We seemed to have the same sense of humor and the same bad attitude about guys in school. We both thought high school was basically a crock. Something you had to get through so your real life could start. And we both thought guys were an inferior species. Inferior, but necessary. Yes, necessary. I even had a boyfriend by April. Nate Goodman. I met him when I walked out of the cafeteria, bumped him from behind at the top of the stairs, and sent him tumbling headfirst to the bottom. I had my eyes on my phone and didn't even see him. Luckily, Nate is a pretty slick acrobat. He managed to somersault most of the way. He had a few cuts that were bleeding a little, but he didn't break his neck. Of course, I went tearing down the stairs to make sure he was okay. He sat there shaking his head. I think he was dazed a little. I huddled over him. Are you okay? I was better a few seconds ago, he said. I apologized at least a hundred times, and helped pull him to his feet. I felt terrible. At least a dozen kids stopped to stare at us. He wiped blood off his forehead with the back of his hand. Did you break anything? I asked. Yes, the land speed record for stair falling, he replied. I'm glad you have a sense of humor, I said. Me too. Nate is a good-looking dude. He's tall and lanky. He has straight black hair that he's always brushing back from his forehead. Round, dark brown eyes, and an easy smile that makes a dimple appear on his right cheek. You're Lisa, right? He studied me. Sarah Lynn told me about you. She didn't warn me you were dangerous. I gave him a look. Yes, I'm very dangerous. I guess that was my idea of flirting. 
I had pulled him to his feet. Now I realized I was still holding on to his arm. How do you know Sarah Lynn? He wiped more blood off his forehead with the sleeve of his black t-shirt. We grew up near each other, on the same block. You're a senior, right? I said. My phone beeped in my jeans pocket. A text. I ignored it. He squinted at me. How do you know that? I shrugged. Sarah Lynn might have mentioned it to me. Sarah Lynn and I are juniors. I hate that word, but it's awkward to say you're in 11th grade. You need to see the nurse, I said. That cut on your forehead is kind of bad. He nodded. I didn't plan to give blood today. He said it like an old-time movie vampire. I laughed. You make a good vampire. Sarah Lynn told me you're into scary movies and horror. Yeah, I collect posters and comics and masks and stuff, he said. You seem to know a lot about me. I shrugged again. I could feel my face growing hot. It was true. Sarah Lynn and I did talk about him a lot. Ever since we watched him read a long Edgar Allan Poe poem at the senior talent show, I thought he was hot. Strange, but hot. I mean, Edgar Allan Poe? Seriously? The bell rang. We were going to be late for fifth period. I had a strong feeling about him. Like some kind of laser force field pulling me toward him. A hundred years ago, I think they called it love at first sight. Cornball music would be playing with lots of violins. What I mean to say is that I liked the way he looked at me. And I liked talking to him. I even thought he looked cool with a line of blood leaking across his forehead. Nice bumping into you, I said. He nodded. Funny. Remind me to laugh. Nate and I have been hanging out ever since. Sometimes it's just the two of us. Sometimes it's like the night of April 12th, when we went to the hamburger hangout Lefties with Sarah Lynn and Nate's friend Isaac Brenner. Yes, I remember the exact date. April 12th, the night of the accident. The night of so much horror. The night I turned into an insane lunatic. Chapter 2 Is that a real word? Isaac asked. Vomitorium? Mr. Hammer explained it to us, Sarah Lynn said, in drama class. They had these aisles in theaters, like in Roman times, for the audience to leave the theater quickly. They were called vomitoriums. In Latin, it meant spew forth. Isaac scratched his curly black hair. You mean the audiences puke their guts out in the aisles? No, that's a mistake people make, Sarah Lynn told him. Vomitoriums didn't have anything to do with vomiting. I rolled my eyes. Can we talk about something else? I mean, we came here to eat cheeseburgers, right? Why do we have to talk about vomitoriums? Nate nodded agreement. We were sitting in a wide, red vinyl booth in the back of the restaurant. He had his arm around my shoulders. Sarah Lynn and Isaac sat facing us. 
Because that's what the lunchroom looked like yesterday, Isaac said. Kids were heaving all over the place. It was totally sick. Nate's hand squeezed my shoulder. Does anyone know what made those kids all toss their lunch? Maybe the food, Isaac said. We laughed. Isaac is a total joker. He always knows the dumbest thing to say. It's still a mystery, Sarah Lynn said. Someone said they all had the mac and cheese, but what could go wrong with mac and cheese? Yesterday had been a bad day at school. A dozen kids had to be sent to the emergency room at Shadyside General, but this puke talk was making me queasy. I was glad when the waitress came back to the booth to take our order. I recognized her from school. Rachel Martin. She is a senior, but we are in the same politics and government class. What's the special tonight? Isaac asked her. She blinked. Cheeseburgers? That was the special last night, Isaac said. Rachel poked him with the eraser on her pencil. You're very sharp, Isaac. You shouldn't poke the customers, Isaac said, rubbing his shoulder. Didn't Lefty tell you that? We all looked to the window that opened into the kitchen. We could see Lefty's back. He was at the grill frying up cheeseburgers. Lefty said it was okay to poke you, Rachel said. Isaac jumped up. Really? I didn't know you liked me. Should we go to your place or mine? Sarah Lynn pulled him back to the seat. Ha ha, bunny. We'll have the usual, Nate told Rachel. She scribbled something on her little pad. Then she poked Isaac again with the pencil, turned and headed to the kitchen. Nate slid his hand from behind my back. Okay, phone's on the table, guys. He slid his phone from his jeans pocket and set it down in the middle of the table. The rest of us pulled out our phones and stacked them on top of Nate's in a neat pile. Hey, make sure Isaac didn't turn off his ringer, Sarah Lynn said. Nate pulled Isaac's phone from the pile and examined it. You guys really think I'd cheat? Isaac asked, pretending to be hurt. Yes, all three of us answered. Nate moved the switch on Isaac's phone. He stared accusingly across the table. You did have your ringer switched off. Isaac raised his right hand. Accident, I swear. Total accident. This was a serious tradition we had. We piled the phones on the table. First phone to ring. The owner had to pay for dinner. I was usually the loser. That's because my mom and dad are total pests. They're your basic helicopter parents, hovering over me wherever I go. They call me constantly. They pretend they have a question they want to ask, but they're really just checking up on me. When I don't pick up, they leave long voicemails. I mean, seriously? Who listens to voicemails? At my old school, I had a boyfriend they didn't like. Just because he was out of school and he had a tattoo sleeve on his right arm. He wasn't a bad guy, but they couldn't see beyond the tattoos. I think he's the reason they don't trust me now. Do they like Nate? I haven't asked them. I really don't care. What's up with your band? Nate asked Isaac. Isaac has a rock band called the Black Holes. 
They say they are a Metallica cover band, but it's hard to tell when you listen to them. Isaac had been shuffling the ketchup and mustard dispensers. Suddenly, he squeezed them at Nate. Nate dodged away. A spray of ketchup and mustard splashed the table. You really are a ten-year-old, Sarah Lynn said, shaking her head. Sorry, Isaac said. I didn't mean to squeeze them, really. Thinking about my band gets me all tense. He grabbed some napkins and dabbed at the stains on the table. What's your problem? Nate asked. We suck, Isaac said. He tugged at his thick mop of black hair. We totally suck. Tell us something new, Sarah Lynn said. Isaac ignored her. We have a gig Saturday night at the Hot House. You know, that club on Park, almost to the River Road. And the dudes haven't learned any of the music. I can't even get them all to a rehearsal at the same time. We heard you at the senior talent show last month, Nate said. You sucked then. Isaac shook his head. We've had a whole month to get even more sucky. It's a horror show, Nate, seriously. You could put us in your horror collection, right next to Evil Dead 2. Nate had at least 200 horror films on DVD. Last weekend, he forced us all to watch Evil Dead 2. It was his all-time favorite, especially the flying eyeball scene. Rachel brought us our cheeseburgers and fries. She started to set down the plates, then stopped. Who spilled ketchup and mustard on the table? Three guesses, Sarah Lynn said. Rachel stared at Isaac for a long moment. She laughed. Everyone likes Isaac. He's short and a little chubby, with a tangled nest of black hair and brown eyes that crinkle up when he smiles. Isaac is always making jokes and interrupting classes with his wisecracks. He says he has a desperate need for attention. I can't tell if that's another one of his jokes or not. He's very smart. I don't think he studies very hard, but he's a straight-A student. And he learned to speak Mandarin. He says he wants to go to China for a year before he starts college. Nate says Isaac wants to go to China just to get away from his band. Speaking of horror movies, Sarah Lynn started. We were all into our cheeseburgers now. Lefty makes them juicy and piles on the lettuce and tomato and pickles. I have to do a video for film class, Sarah Lynn continued. And I think we should do our own horror movie. Maybe in your attic, Nate, with all your totally gross horror masks. Nate swallowed a chunk of cheeseburger. He had juice running down his chin. I mopped it up with a paper napkin. Sounds cool, he told Sarah Lynn. Do you have a script? I have some ideas, she said. But if we could use some of your props and masks and posters, it would be awesome. How about a vampire movie, Isaac said. My cousin works in a medical lab. I can probably get buckets of blood from him. I'm thinking something more sophisticated, Sarah Lynn said. Something paranormal. You'll still need blood, Isaac said. Nate turned to me. Lisa, you want to be in it? I shrugged. Sure, why not? But you know me, I'm not into horror. I mean, I really don't get it. What's the fun of being scared?
Nate sighed. You're hopeless. Everyone likes to be scared, Sarah Lynn said. It's like a basic human thing. Guess I'm not human, I said. I always think horror movies are dumb. Nate squeezed my arm. I'll show you some movies that will change your mind. I'll tell you something scary, I said. I sneaked out tonight. I'm not supposed to be here. Sarah Lynn set down her cheeseburger. Lisa, you had to sneak out? It's Friday night. Why didn't your parents want you to go out? Because they're jerks, I said. I'm supposed to be in my room writing thank you notes for my sweet 16 party. Like that can't wait till tomorrow. I'm serious. My parents treat me like a total child. Isaac pulled the pickles from his burger and jammed them into his mouth. Wish my parents would treat me like a child, he muttered. What do you mean? I said. They don't know I exist. No one ever says, where are you going, Isaac? Or what are you doing? What's up? All they care about is their golf scores and their friends at the country club. You're lucky, I said. My parents are always in my face. I raised my eyes to the front of the restaurant and let out a startled cry. Oh, see what I mean? Chapter 3 My dad stood just inside the door. He had his shiny blue hoodie open over a Cleveland Indians t-shirt. His wavy brown hair was unbrushed and stood up in tufts on his head. His eyes surveyed the restaurant until he found me. He stomped past some girls waiting for a table, making his way to our booth. Dad, what are you doing here? My cry made some heads turn around. My dad is tall and good-looking, with reddish-brown hair and pale-blue eyes and a tanned face. Mom says he looks like a young Clint Eastwood because of the lines down his cheeks and his hard expression. I look more like my mother. Her parents came from Denmark, were blonde and pale, tall and kind of bony. Dad stopped a few feet from the booth. His hands were balled into fists at his sides. He's not violent at all. He does that when he's tense. He had bright red circles darkening his cheeks. Lisa, you promised to stay home, he said. He kept his blue eyes locked on me. I don't think he noticed that there were others at the table. My heart started to pound in my chest. Please don't embarrass me in front of my new friends. Come on, Dad said, motioning for me to get up. Mom and Morty are in the car. I wanted to scream, but I forced my voice to stay low and steady. I'll come home later, Dad. He shook his head. No, now. I pointed to my plate. I haven't finished my cheeseburger. Hey, Mr. Brooks, Nate broke in. I, I can drive Lisa home right after we eat. Dad finally turned away from me. Thanks, Nate, but we need Lisa to come home now. He raised his eyes to Sarah Lynn and Isaac. Sorry to interrupt your dinner. He suddenly appeared embarrassed, as if he realized he'd gone too far. He's not a beast or anything. 
He's actually very reasonable most of the time. I decided it would be easier to go with him rather than cause a big scene. I did sneak out of the house after all. But I should be able to decide when I can go out with my friends. Like the thank you cards couldn't wait a day or two. Muttering under my breath, I squeezed past Nate and climbed out of the booth. I kept my eyes down and didn't look at my father. Do you have a jacket or something? He asked. It's pretty windy out. You're going to tell me how to dress now? I snapped. I waved goodbye to the others. They all flashed me sympathetic looks. They probably thought my dad was weird, following me to the restaurant. I stormed angrily past him to the door and stepped outside. It was a blustery, cold night. It felt more like March than April. I was wearing a long-sleeved top over a short skirt and black tights. The wind brushed my hair straight back. I spotted our Camry at the curb near the corner, ran to it, and dove into the back seat. As soon as I arrived, Morty started to wag his tail and pant like crazy. He bounced across the seat to me and began to give my face a ferocious tongue bath. Morty, down! Ugh, get off me! I cried, laughing. My face is very ticklish. His tongue felt like sandpaper. Oh, stop! Morty, give me a break! Morty is a big, white sheepdog mix. My parents gave him to me for my birthday. He goes everywhere we go. He thinks he's a little puppy. He's always jumping on me and slobbering his tongue over my face. I finally pushed him back. I wiped my cheeks with the sleeve of my top. I'm very disappointed in you, Mom said from the front passenger seat without turning around. It's not a big deal, I said. I could feel my anger grow. I had a heavy feeling in the pit of my stomach. Following me to lefties was a real invasion. I'm not eight years old, I said. Then don't act it. Mom still didn't turn around. She's very soft-spoken, and she doesn't like scenes. I'm the one in the family with the hot temper. Dad pulled the car away from the curb. He still hadn't said a word. He squealed into a turn onto Park Drive and headed for home. We live on the village road, about half a mile from the salon where Mom is a hairdresser. Slow down, Jimmy, Mom told him. Don't tell me how to drive. He snapped. Now we were all snapping at each other. My fault, right? I heard a pattering sound and saw that it had started to rain. Raindrops sparkled on the windshield in the light from an oncoming car. Slow down, Mom repeated through gritted teeth. The road is slippery. Lisa, we have to be able to trust you, Dad said. You can trust me, I said. You had no right to. How can we trust you when you lied to us and sneaked out of the house? Dad said. I shouldn't have to sneak out, I told him. Why did I sneak out? Because you're both impossible. You totally embarrassed me in front of my friends. Did you even think about that? Jimmy, you went through a red light, Mom said. Concentrate on your driving. We can have a family discussion when we get home. Oh, no, I groaned. 
There won't be any family discussion. I... I stopped. And then I screamed. Turn around! Turn around! I left my phone on the table! I pounded the back of Dad's seat. Turn around! Dad spun the wheel. The car swerved. Mom screamed. Blinding yellow light blazed across the windshield. I saw the sparkling raindrops, like jewels in the bright light. I felt a hard jolt. It tossed me forward, then back. I felt the jolt, and then heard the crash. An explosion of metal and glass. In the bright light, I saw Dad's head snap forward, saw his forehead slam into the steering wheel. Still swerving. The car was still moving. The light seemed to be all around us, tossing us like on a bright ocean wave. I saw Dad's head snap, and then I heard a crack, and knew it was the crack of his skull. I knew it. Knew it. I heard his skull crack, saw his face split open, saw dark blood rise up like a fountain and then pour down his forehead. My head jerked to the side. The back door flew open. I heard a powerful rush of wind. I saw Morty leap out. Morty, come back. And then the pain hit me. The pain shot down the back of my neck. The pain swept over me. My chest. My legs. My head. Blinding pain. I'm blind. No. I'm dead. The bright light lifted. I sank. Sank into a deep blackness. Chapter 4 Then the light returned. Pale, watery light with dark forms floating across it. Moving blurs. Like gazing into a camera totally out of focus. I heard a murmur of voices. Nearby, but too soft to understand any words. I gazed up at the shifting light, struggling to squint away the gauzy curtain that kept me from seeing clearly. As I blinked and squinted, the pain grew stronger. My head throbbed. I felt a painful throbbing at my temples. I tried to turn my head, but a sharp stab of pain forced me to stop. Should I increase it? A woman's voice came from somewhere behind me. It's already set near maximum. It took me so long to realize I was in a bed. On my back in a hospital bed. The light billowed and pulsed and began to fade. The tide going out. Evening over the water. I lay on the shore watching the sunset. No, that was wrong. I wasn't thinking clearly. I was on my back, staring up at the circles of light on the ceiling. Yes, I forced myself to focus. A 
and now I could see the thick orange tube stuck into my wrist, and a narrow window with the blinds half drawn. My hands at my sides on the white linen sheet. Ignoring the pain, I turned my head and saw a bed across from me, gasped as my dad came into focus. Yes, I remember the accident now. The crash and the shatter of metal and glass and the hard jolt of the collision. I remembered the accident. And now I stared at my dad in the bed across from me. He went in and out of focus, clear, and then a blur. His head, it was slumped forward. Bright red blood poured down his face. And the steering wheel, the shaft of the steering wheel was jammed into his forehead. The steering wheel poked out of his head. The blood flowed all around it and puddled on the floor. He didn't move. He just slumped forward on the bed, with the blood-spattered steering wheel stuck deep in his head. Where were the nurses? Where were the doctors? I turned away. I couldn't bear to watch. And I opened my mouth in a shrill wail of horror. Help him! Somebody help him! Chapter 5 my shrill screams made my throat hurt. The room spun crazily around me. My mother's face slid into view above me. She appeared even paler than usual, as if her skin was white paper tight against her cheeks. Mom? She blinked several times. I saw tears form in her eyes. Lisa, you're awake. Oh, thank goodness. Lifting my head, I saw a gray-haired man in a green lab coat step up behind her. He had a clipboard in one hand, a stethoscope swung on his chest as he moved. Dad! I screamed. Take care of Dad! Neither of them turned around. They narrowed their eyes at me. I turned my gaze to the bed across from me. Dad! The bed was empty. Mom placed a hand on my shoulder. Lisa, why were you screaming? I saw that her other arm was in a cast inside a blue sling. I... I thought I saw Dad, I stammered. Again, the room started to spin. In that bed, I saw him so clearly. He was bleeding. I mean, his head was down and blood was pouring and... No one was helping him. No one. The gray-haired man edged my mother to the side. He peered down at me with silvery eyes behind black-framed glasses. He had thick, arched eyebrows that looked like fat, white caterpillars. I'm Dr. Martino, he said. Lisa, I'm glad you've come around so quickly. You've been out since last night. I've been out? I glanced at the window. Orange sunlight filled the bottom half. Afternoon sunlight? You had a serious concussion, Dr. Martino said. His breath smelled of coffee. Light reflected on his glasses and hid his eyes. 
You may have nightmares and even hallucinations for a while. Your brain had a nasty jolt. I shut my eyes. Everything hurt. My whole body, even my eyelids. Hallucinations? I said. I opened my eyes. You mean just now when I saw my dad in bed? The doctor nodded. Beside him, Mom let out a sob. She cut it off quickly. She never likes to show emotion. It's a Scandinavian thing, I think. I really thought I saw him, I said, my throat suddenly tight. I can't believe I was hallucinating. We will have to keep you here, Dr. Martino said. Perhaps for a week or more. Internal bleeding is something we have to watch for. We need to keep a close watch for that. You may suffer other hallucinations. I feel I must warn you. I only half heard his words. He kept fading in and out. His eyebrows seemed to move on their own as if they were alive. I twisted my head toward Mom. But, Dad, where is Dad? Is he okay? Mom bit her bottom lip. She took a breath before she replied. No, Lisa, I'm sorry, she whispered. He, he's not okay. Part two, chapter six. I don't want to describe my week in the hospital. It was a time of boredom and headaches and frustration and pain and tears and bad dreams. The first time I was allowed to walk on my own to the bathroom across the hall, I suddenly saw the floor turn to a swampy green ooze. I felt the sticky wet gunk on the bottoms of my paper hospital slippers and watched in horror as the hot ooze bubbled quickly up to my ankles. I began hopping up and down, frantically trying to scrape the green slime off my feet. It won't come off! It won't come off! I screamed. I had to be rescued by two nurses, who held me firmly by the elbows and returned me shaking and shuddering to my bed. Am I always going to be crazy? I asked one of them. A tall black woman who was strong enough to lift me off my feet and onto the bed. We're all a little crazy, she said. She had a surprisingly high, soft voice. You're going to be fine. Give it time. I wasn't sure I believed her. I had nothing but time in the hospital. Time to stare up at the ceiling and think about my dad. Mom rented me a television over my bed, but the only time I turned it on, it was a commercial for dog food. I started to sob because Morty ran from the car and hadn't been seen since. I switched the TV off and never turned it on again. Some people sent sympathy cards, and some sent get-well cards. My cousins in Vermont sent a huge bouquet of white and yellow lilies. The sharp fragrance of the flowers filled the room, and I started to sneeze. I'm allergic to lilies, I guess. The flowers had to go. Who cares, anyway? I had a lot of bitter thoughts, and a lot of thoughts I 
couldn't describe. I guess you'd call them dark. When I finally was released, and sitting in the back seat of an unfamiliar car with Mom at the wheel, everything appeared too bright. I kept my head down, waiting for my eyes to adjust, but they refused, and everything I saw had a blinding glare around it. Mom, how can you drive with one hand? My voice was hoarse, I guess because I hadn't used it much. I rubbed my right wrist and ached from where the tube had been inserted. I had a round, blue bruise there. She didn't answer. I shielded my eyes with one hand. The sunlight was just too bright for me. I wondered if sunglasses would help. We pulled out of the hospital parking lot, and a few seconds later, were speeding through the narrow streets of the old village. I should have felt happy. Freedom at last. I was going home. But it was like happy feelings took too much energy. I slumped against the seat back. I felt numb. You know when your foot falls asleep? That's how my whole self felt. Mom, are you okay? Still shielding my eyes, I peered out the windshield and let out a sharp cry as I saw the big, white dog slowly crossing the street. Mom, stop! Stop the car! Look, it's Morty! The car didn't slow down. Mom swerved the wheel to the left. No, Mom! You're going to hit him! Mom, stop, please! She jammed her foot on the gas. The car roared forward. I saw the oncoming car. A dark blue SUV with a chrome grille that looked like animal teeth. I heard its horn blare like a siren. And then the crash tossed me hard against the back of the front seat. Oh no. No. Not again. I bounced back against my seat. I saw mom's head hit the steering wheel. It didn't bounce up. It stayed down on the wheel, her arms limp at her sides. A gusher of blood from mom's head splashed onto the windshield. The windshield was quickly splattered bright red. Not again. Not again. The car began moving again. Slumped over the wheel, mom didn't budge. But the car began roaring forward. I couldn't see out couldn't see through the covering of darkening blood over the windshield. I reached over the seat and grabbed mom by the shoulders and shook her, shook her hard. Wake up, please stop the car, you've got to stop the car. And then her head slowly turned to me. And I saw that it wasn't mom, it was my dad, smiling so sweetly at me. Dad, with his head split wide open, smiling at me from beyond the grave. Chapter 7 I felt a hard tug and opened my eyes to find Mom shaking me by the shoulders. Wake up, Lisa. Come on, wake up. Her voice was a tense whisper. I saw the curtains blowing at my bedroom window, darkness behind them, still night. 
I blinked several times, trying to force away the sight of my dad's split head. Another nightmare, Mom said, shaking her head. Her blonde hair was matted against one side of her face. She straightened her long nightshirt. Her hands stayed on my shoulders, soothing them now. I tried to say something, but my throat was still clogged with sleep. Mom clicked on the blue lamp on my bedside table. I turned away from the sudden bright light. You've been home a week. You're still having the nightmares, she said. When do you see your doctor next? Dr. Shine? Not sure, I managed to whisper. I ran both hands back through my hair. My skin was damp from perspiration. The same nightmare, I told her. I was in the car, and I saw Dad again. Mom sighed. In the harsh light from my lamp, she suddenly looked a lot older. Dr. Shine says it will take time, Lisa. But I'm not getting better, Mom. I keep seeing Dad and Morty everywhere. I pulled myself to a sitting position. My sheets were damp, too, from sweat. I shuddered. Nightmares and hallucinations? I'm a total crazy person. You know that's not true. You know this is only temporary. I'm sure that as time passes... Mom, I really think it will help me if I go back to school. Mom sighed again. It's four in the morning. I know you've just had a frightening night. Do you really want to have this discussion now? I don't want a discussion at all, I said. I just want to go back to school. I I haven't seen any of my friends, and all because you say I'm not ready. It's not me, Mom snapped. It's Dr. Shine. She's the trained psychiatrist. She's been working with you since the hospital. But Mom... I think we should listen to her advice, don't you? I know how frustrated you are, but she feels you have to work out some of your grief, some of your guilty feelings before you can go back to your normal life. Wow, that's a mouthful, Mom. Have you been practicing that answer all day? She took a step back. I could see that I'd hurt her. I didn't really mean to sound that angry and sarcastic, where did that come from? Maybe Dr. Shine was right. Maybe I wasn't fit to see other people yet. I'm going to rely on her, I decided. She's been so wonderful to talk to. I'll do whatever she thinks best. Sorry, Mom, I blurted out quickly. I, I didn't mean... Let's try to get back to sleep, she said. The next day was a cloudy, gray Saturday, gathering storm clouds low in the sky. Outside our front window, the whole world appeared in somber shades of gray, which fit my mood perfectly. At breakfast, Mom said it was okay for Nate to come over, and he showed up a little after 11. I greeted him with an awkward hug. I could see he was nervous. Hey, he said. You look good. <laughs> Liar. I had circles around my eyes from so little sleep, and I'd lost at least ten pounds. 
I just didn't have any appetite. We sat down on the low green leather armchairs across from one another in the den. He kept gazing at me, studying me as if he'd never seen me before. And his right leg kept tapping up and down, like he was really tense. We'd been texting, and we did some video chats. But it was different being in the same room with him. Sure, I was happy to see him, but it was hard to get a conversation started. I felt like someone had built a tall picket fence between us, and we were trying to talk over the fence. Sorry about your dad, Nate said, lowering his eyes to the white carpet. I should have just said thank you, or nodded and kept silent. But I felt a burst of anger. I can't talk about it, I said, my voice cracking. My dad is dead and it's all my fault. Nate actually flinched, as if I'd hit him. Sorry, I muttered. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It isn't true, he said finally. It wasn't your fault, Lisa. He was driving, not you. He caused the accident. You can't blame yourself. Ha, I said bitterly. The phone rang. I heard Mom hurry to answer it in the kitchen. I stood up and climbed onto Nate's lap. I thought maybe if he held me for a while, I could lift myself from this dark mood. Nate put his arms around me. I snuggled my face against his cheek. I could hear Mom talking on the phone. Every time it rings, I think it's someone calling to say they found Morty, I told Nate. I sighed. My poor dog. He ran out of the car and just kept running. He was so scared. And now it had been nearly two weeks. Nate tightened his arms around me. He'll turn up, Lisa. I shoved his arms away and jumped to my feet. Give me a break, I cried. Stop being so cheerful. What's your problem anyway? Can't you see that my life is over? His mouth dropped open. I shook both fists at my sides. I killed my father, Nate. How can I live with that? He stared up at me from the chair. I could see his eyes dart from side to side. He was thinking hard. He didn't know how to deal with me. Who would? I knew I was being impossible, but I couldn't stop myself. He lowered his hands to the arms of the chair. I think he wanted to get up. He wanted to leave. But the front doorbell rang, startling us both. And I heard a dog bark outside. Nate! It's Morty! I cried. I tugged Nate to his feet. Someone has found Morty! We both tore across the living room to the front door. I pulled the door open and held my arms out to hug my dog. Chapter 8 The young guy on the front stoop wore a black leather vest over a white t-shirt and baggy denim jeans. He had a green and yellow John Deere cap pulled over his forehead, a stubble of black beard covered his tanned cheeks. I saw your thing online about your missing dog, he said. I found him in my backyard and- But that's not my dog, I cried. 
That's not Morty. My voice came out high and shrill. Nate put a hand on my shoulder as if to steady me. Wrong dog, he told the guy. The dog gazed up at me, panting softly. It was some kind of shepherd mix. Its tail was tucked between its hind legs. A patch of gray fur on its back was missing. The guy squinted at me, then at the dog. You sure? Of course I'm sure, I snapped. I wanted to slam the door shut. I didn't want to look at that ragged, forlorn animal on my stoop. I wanted Morty. Who is it, dear? Mom called from inside the house. No one, I shouted back. Sorry, the guy said. I thought maybe. Thanks for trying, Nate told him. I pushed the door shut. I led the way back to the den. I was walking stiffly, as if every muscle in my body had tightened. Total tension and frustration and disappointment. Through the living room window, I saw the guy leading the dog down the driveway. He and the dog had their heads lowered with the same unhappy expression on their faces. It would have made a funny photo, if I was in the mood for funny. In the den, Nate slid his arms around my waist. His hair fell over his forehead as he started to kiss me. I cut the kiss off with a shudder. I shook my head. I'm sorry, Nate. I'm just not good company right now. Seriously, you'd better go. Late that night, I sat straight up in bed when I heard a dog howling outside my bedroom window. I was still in that space between asleep and awake, but I knew I wasn't dreaming. The window stood half open. The curtains at the window were still. No breeze tonight. But as I climbed to my feet, I could see pale lights, the sky clear and full of stars. I tugged my sneakers on without lacing them and found my jean jacket in my closet. As I pulled it over my shoulders, I heard the dog howl again. A long, mournful sound. Morty? I'm coming, Morty! I crept downstairs. The steps creaked beneath my feet. The house was dark. It smelled of popcorn, the late-night snack Mom and I shared while watching a dumb comedy movie on TV. Moving silently, I made my way out the back door, across the dew-wet back lawn, and into the woods that stretched behind our house. The dog howled again, close by, very close. My heart started to pound. A brilliant full moon shone down through the trees. The sky was so clear tonight. Above the spring bare tree limbs, I could see the stars high above me. The moonlight, the starlight, made the whole world glow like silver. Unreal. The cool air made my skin tingle. I pulled the jean jacket tighter. I listened hard. Morty? Where are you? Morty, I'm coming. Another howl. 
and then a tall shadow moved between the silvery trees. A shadow. A figure. Running fast. It burst into view and I tried to scream. I was staring at some kind of... creature. I grabbed a tree trunk and wrapped my arms around it, as if to hold myself up. I stared into the silvery light and watched the thing trot through the trees. He stood on two legs and ran upright like a human. But he was bare-chested, and even in this strange light, I could see that his body was weird. Huge, long-fingered hands at the end of skinny arms, a nearly bald head, red, glowing eyes. He stopped for a moment in a pool of light, and I saw his face. Distorted, features twisted, not a human face. His ears stuck straight up, like pig's ears, a long animal snout poked from between his cheeks. His snout hung open. I could see two rows of long, fang-like teeth. And suddenly, with my arms wrapped tightly around the cold, rough tree trunk, I knew I was dreaming again. Another nightmare. You know how when you were asleep and you are totally aware that you are in a dream. Wake up. Wake up, Lisa. Why couldn't I wake myself from this one? The creature made ugly, growling sounds. He was a blur as he moved toward me. And then he was only a shadow again. A shadow with glowing ruby eyes. He seemed to melt into the darkness. Was he really there at all? Wake up, Lisa, hurry. Wake up from this nightmare. But there was no escape this time. I heard a groan, and then the shadow swept over me, grabbed me, shook me hard, grunting my name. Chapter 9 Let me go! I shrieked. My eyes were shut tight. Get off me! Lisa, what are you doing out here? I opened my eyes to see my mother, hair wild about her face, a raincoat pulled over her nightshirt. Her eyes were wide with fright. They reflected the eerie light from the moon. Her chin trembled. She was shivering. What are you doing out here? Why are you in the woods in the middle of the night? I was frantic. I searched everywhere for you. I leaned forward and forced her to hug me. I just stood there, leaning into her, wrapped up in her, my head pressed against the front of her coat. Lisa, can you talk? Are you okay? Her voice trembled on the night air. I stood up. Her warmth lingered on my skin. I thought... I thought I was dreaming... I saw a creature, an ugly, half-human creature that ran into the shadows. Mom, I saw it, and I knew I had to be dreaming. Mom had tears in her eyes. They glistened in the moonlight like twin pearls. 
But you're not dreaming, Lisa. Look where you are. You're in the woods. I gazed around. The cool night air made me shiver. I hugged myself to stop my shakes. Was I sleepwalking? Mom hesitated. I guess you were. Something new, I said, rolling my eyes. The nightmares weren't bad enough. Now I have to go roaming around like a lunatic in the woods. I sighed. At least I was sane enough to put on clothes. I'm not walking around out here totally naked. That's a good sign, right? I was trying to get a smile from my mom. I didn't like to see tears in her eyes. She wasn't an emotional person. She wasn't supposed to cry. She didn't smile, and she didn't answer my question. Without another word, I took her arm and we began to walk to the house. After a few steps, I stopped. She stumbled but caught her balance. Lisa, what's wrong? What about the creature? I asked. Was he real too? Of course not, she said softly. But what does that mean? That I was sleepwalking and having a nightmare at the same time? I sighed. Will I always be this crazy, Mom? You're not crazy. Her voice was a whisper. Don't say that. Well... Will I ever be normal again? Will I? She stepped into shadows. I couldn't see her face. I couldn't hear her whispered reply. My question lingered in the air like a forgotten whisper. The next morning, I slept in and woke up refreshed. I thought about the day. I remembered I had an appointment with Dr. Shine. Before that... I wanted to walk over to Nate's house and apologize for how badly I treated him the day before. Of course, Mom thought it might be too much for me. Why don't you invite him over here? Mom, I said. I can walk three blocks in broad daylight. Seriously, you have to let me try to do normal things. It's the only way I'll ever return to a normal life. I didn't shout, and I didn't plead. I kept my voice low and steady. I think my argument won her over. Maybe you're right. Walk to Nate's, go ahead. Get out of the house for a couple of hours. I don't want to hold you back. Let's see how you do. A couple of hours? She was treating me like a mental patient. But so what? I got my way. I texted Nate and told him I was coming over. It was a warm spring afternoon. I pulled a blue long-sleeved top over a pair of denim shorts. You need a jacket, Mom called from the kitchen. No, I don't, I shouted. Don't forget your appointment with Dr. Shine, she yelled. I won't forget. I stepped outside, squinting into the sunlight and took a deep breath. The air smelled so fresh and sweet. Across the street, the dogwood trees in the miller's front yard were just beginning to show their white blossoms. Two little boys in their driveway were tossing a Nerf baseball back and forth. 
They waved to me as I walked to the sidewalk. Our front lawn needed to be mowed. It was overgrown with weeds, and the brown fall leaves hadn't been raked. Dad had always taken care of the lawn. Mom probably hadn't given it a thought. I crossed Pines Road. An SUV filled with kids in soccer uniforms rumbled past. The houses on this block were big, with wide, sloping lawns. I saw two robins fighting over a fat, brown earthworm. A real tug of war. A beautiful spring day, and I was enjoying my walk. Feeling like a human again. Feeling like I could face the world and move on. Just move on. The walk was refreshing and enjoyable. Until I arrived at Nate's house. And then I was heaved back. Back into a world of horror. Chapter 10 Nate lives in a long, ranch-style house. Dark redwood with purple shutters beside the windows. The purple shutters were his dad's idea. His dad is kind of an old-style hippie. He tries to be very cool. He sells life insurance, but he's also a jazz musician and a painter. Nate's mom is tall and thin, and very pretty in an old-fashioned TV sitcom way. She likes to chatter and gossip. She is the nicest person in the world. Nate has a younger brother, Tim, who looks like a Nate clone, but I don't know him very well. Actually, the whole family could be clones. They are all lanky and tall with straight black hair and dark eyes. I walked up Nate's driveway. His dad's red Prius was parked at the top of the driveway. The sun was reflected in their living room window, making it glow like gold. I turned toward the front stoop, but stopped when I heard voices. From the backyard? Yes, I made my way around the side of the garage, stepping over a coiled green garden hose. I smelled something sweet from the open kitchen window. Mrs. Goodman is an awesome baker. Nate's backyard is fenced in by tall, straight evergreen shrubs. I saw a row of shrubs gleaming in the sunlight. Then I heard a scream. I stepped past the garage onto the back lawn and cried out as I saw a hideous green creature. A demon from out of my nightmares. Only this one was real. As real as the grass and the blue sky and the gray squirrel that leaped out of its way and darted from the yard. The green creature dove out of the shadows of the tall shrubs and scrambled across the yard. I saw Sarah Lynn with her back turned. No time to warn her. I tried to scream, but I couldn't make a sound. No time. No time. The creature looked like something out of a horror movie. With huge... Three-fingered hands, a round green head with rows of long pointed teeth hanging from its mouth, a slender green body, naked, totally naked. A few feet from Sarah Lynn, it turned. It saw me. It spun away from her and came galloping at me, grunting its huge bare feet thundering over the grass. Before I could move, it dove forward and grabbed me around the waist. 
I opened my mouth and uttered a shrill scream.